The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O oh, almighty and merciful God, it is only by your grace that your faithful people offer you true and laudable service. Grant that we may run without stumbling to obtain your heavenly promises. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Old Testament reading comes from Habakkuk, chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigianot. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hand on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place, at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet... I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy In the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Our New Testament reading comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of this, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is in all, or is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Through him. The word of the Lord. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard. Against all covenants, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. And he, then he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store up my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord. So, um... In 1923, uh, there was a South Dakotan state historian um, uh, named Don Robinson. Um, He was on a drive uh, through a beautiful area of South Dakota. Um, He was driving a Model T, which apparently overheated. Um, And so he sent his son uh, to go find water uh, for the Model T, which I appreciate that in a dad, sending your son to do the hard work that you don't want to do. Um, And while his uh, son was looking for water, um, he um, admired the incredible view um, that he had in the place where he had stopped and the rock formations that were in front of him. 
as he looked at those rock formations, he thought, I wonder if you could carve figures into those formations, that you could actually have sort of like these statues made in the rocks. Um, And this idea stuck with him, and over the next year, he talked to different people about could they fund some sort of carving into the mountainside um, there. And a year later, um, he returned to that space with a sculptor named Gutzen Borglum um, and uh, uh, asked about it, and they explored, could we do a big carving here? Well, Borglum said a couple things to him. He said, first, the, the composition of the rocks would not be good for carving into them. It would actually, they, they, their composition was too crumbly, and so carving into them would not work. But the second thing that Borglum said to Robinson was, why would you carve into something so beautiful? The, to, to try to carve figures into this rock would actually, you know, not enhance the beauty, but would take away from the beauty. And he said this. He said, who is he but a man to improve upon the hand of God, right? Who does, do humans think they are that they can improve upon the hand of God? Now, that uh, area in South Dakota, that uh, rocky area is now, or it may have been even then, in Custer um, State Park. Um, it's called the Cathedral Spires. I was just there this week and so heard that story and saw the beauty of it. Um, and agreed, like, you do not want to carve into these. Now, as you may have figured out, Robinson and Borglum actually found another rock face to carve into, which is Mount Rushmore, Um, but they didn't carve into that, and so maybe they did try to improve upon the hand of God a little bit, but at least in a different area. But again, I want to come back to that. That kind of ruins my illustration, but let's keep going, right? (laughs) That question, who is man? Who Who are humans? that they think they can improve upon the hand of God. When I read that question, I just thought, man, what a great question. And the fact is, at times, we do think we can improve upon the hand of God, don't we? Maybe not just in regard to nature and the beauty of the world, but in regard to God's actions in the world and how God works in our lives and how God answers prayers. I'm sure we all have found ourselves at times saying, God, you know, I know you're God, but I think I could do this better than you. Right? I, I think if I were God, I'd be acting very differently in this situation. Right? Again, we remember that he is almighty God, but at times it's understandable that we feel like he's not doing a very good job. Today we're looking at the, the prophet Habakkuk, and I don't know if you should have favorites, but I'm just going to tell you the minor prophets, Habakkuk is my favorite, maybe even of all the prophets, and I feel bad saying that to Isaiah, but um, Habakkuk I, I just love. And the reason I love Habakkuk is there's a way in which he's a little bit like Jonah, um, uh, Jonah that, you know, rascal, in that he complains uh, to God, right? Jonah complains to God very clearly. Habakkuk also brings complaints before the Lord. But yet he's so different from Jonah in that he then waits upon the Lord and listens for God's response, right? Jonah runs away from God and stays mad at God. The book of Jonah actually ends with Jonah still mad at God. But in Habakkuk, we see Habakkuk crying out to the Lord and then listening. And basically, we could say that Habakkuk's cries to the Lord, in a sense, are, God, I can improve upon what you're doing, right? It doesn't seem like you're doing a very good job. But then in humility, he says, but, but what do you say, Lord? You're, you're God. Speak to me. And he listens to those responses, and he responds in faith. So we're going to look, um, for the most part, at Habakkuk 3, but um, we need to kind of give the story, the, the, the full story of Habakkuk. It's, it's three chapters. Um, it begins, actually, with what's usually referred to as Habakkuk's first complaint. Right? It begins with Habakkuk turning to the Lord and saying, Lord, look at the evil, look at the injustice in Judah, right, in the land where he dwelled. 
Look at the injustice among your people. Look how they are not honoring you. Um, and so um, a question he asked in that first complaint, he says, why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? I mean, that's, that's a big complaint. He's basically saying, Lord, you're being idle, right? You're not actively addressing the wrong that I see. Why would you not act? Why are you idle in the face of injustice? And God responds to that first complaint. And God says, I am responding to the injustice. I see the injustice and the evil, and I'm responding to it, and I'm responding to it by sending the Babylonians. And we've heard this before in this series. The Babylonians ultimately are the, the nation that comes into Judah, brings destruction, destroys the, the temple there, and brings many of the people of Judah into exile. So we've, you probably have heard about the exile um, spoken about um, in uh, the Old Testament. That was at the hands of the Babylonians. And so the Lord is basically saying, that's what's going to happen. I will use the Babylonians to bring this judgment that you're wanting to see. Now, as you may um, uh, guess, Habakkuk then has a second complaint. Right? Here's that, and he says, basically, wait, the Babylonians? Like, no, 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 Lord. Right? Yes, yes, Judah needs refining. Right? Judah needs correction. Judah needs judgment. But you can't use the Babylonians to judge us. They're worse than we are. How would you possibly use this pagan nation, this, these awful people, to judge your people? And again, to read another quote from that complaint. Um, he says, why do you idly look at traitors? Once again, he's saying, Lord, you're idle, right? You should be acting. Why would you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? And so, yes, Judah has problems, but Babylon is worse than we are. How can you use Babylon to swallow up, to bring judgment upon your people who are bad, but they're not that bad? And um, I love this. His second complaint ends with these words, I will look out to see what he will say to me. Again, that's what I love about Habakkuk. He complains in some rather strong words, and then he says, and now I'm going to wait. I'm going to look to see. Will God respond? How will he respond to me? This eagerness to hear and to learn from the Lord. And so the Lord responds again. Basically responds again and says, Babylon will be judged. They will face my judgment. The Babylonians will have to answer for the evil that they've done. That section actually of Habakkuk is very similar in a lot of the the language and the imagery um, to two previous um, uh, Old Testament prophets, minor prophets we looked at, Obadiah and Nahum. Obadiah speaks about judgment against Edom. Nahum speaks about judgments against the Assyrians, all these ancient nations. Um, and again, there's similar language actually as God in you know, Habakkuk speaks of judgment against Babylon, speaking of their pride, speaking of you know, their disregard for the Lord. He makes it clear they will answer for that. Right? I am a holy God, and I will hold accountable the Babylonians. And it says this, and as the Lord speaks of the coming judgment of Babylon, He says these very important words. Behold, speaking of the Babylonians, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Right? And it's important to to quote that. Right? It's a very quoted um, verse, actually, in the scriptures. It's important to quote that because I think sometimes our thinking is, oh, the righteous living by faith, that's a New Testament idea. Right? I mean, living by faith, that sort of came about with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Right? Before that, God's people thought that they lived only by obedience. Right? Now, obedience is important. You see that very clearly in the Scriptures. But we want to be clear that throughout the Scriptures, right, starting with Abraham, it's completely clear. Actually, we can go back farther. But starting with Noah, right, starting with Adam and Eve, right, it's all about living by faith. 
right? It tells us that Abraham trusted in the Lord, and his trust, his faith in the Lord was counted to him as righteousness. And so that message is being given again to Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. Basically, the Lord is saying, Habakkuk, I'm asking you to continue to trust me, to have faith in me. That's where righteousness comes from. And so then as we get to Habakkuk 3 in the, the third chapter of uh, this prophet and getting the ending, right, this is now Habakkuk's response um, uh, to what the Lord has shared with him. And I want to suggest that in his response, we basically see this is what living by faith looks like. Right? What does it look like to be the righteous who live by faith? Imperfectly, yes, right? But trust in the Lord despite everything. Well, here we have this beautiful picture. And let me just mention, the, the, again, the, the final thing in Habakkuk 2. I, I, I just felt led to, to read that to you at the end of our um, singing um, this morning. is where the Lord says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. And I sort of imagine Habakkuk having an extended time of silence before the Lord. And then, right, he comes this moment where he speaks up against this, this, this prayer of response to what the Lord has said to him. And again, what does faith look like? The first thing I would say is, like, faith looks like continuing to intercede. Faith intercedes. Faith asks things of the Lord. And so we see there, right, the very first section, really just in verse 2, right, that, that um, Habakkuk has intercessions. He continues to cry out to the Lord. Really, his complaints, again, they've been complaints before this, but they've also been intercessions. They've been basically saying, Lord, teach me. Reveal yourself to me. Help me understand what's going on. Yes, he's, he's making accusations against the Lord, but he's doing so in a place of faith of saying, Lord, this is what it seems like. Tell me. Help me understand. And we see more intercessions here, right? There are basically three intercessions there in verse 2, right? Lord, I've, I've heard the report of you. I've heard of your work. I fear you, right? That is a godly fear. I'm in awe of you. In the midst of the years, revive it. So he's praying for revival. Lord, what you have done in the past, the way you have brought new life out of death, do that again. Continue to bring new life, Lord. Continue to bring revival. Do your work. Second thing he prays for is make your work known. In the midst of the years, make it known. May all the world see who you are. May the Babylonians see who you are. May Judah see who you are. Make your work known. And thirdly, in wrath, remember mercy. There's a little bit of a change of tone here for Habakkuk. Right? In many ways, his two complaints are, where's your wrath, Lord? I, w- I want to see your wrath. You know, I want to see your wrath against Judah. I want to see your wrath against Babylon. As the Lord has revealed to him, actually, that he is the judge and he will judge, isn't it interesting that one of the takeaways for, for, for Habakkuk is, but don't forget mercy. You know, but remember mercy, right? I, I began asking for your wrath, but now I'm saying, in your wrath, in your judgment, remember mercy. Now, all three of these things, what Habakkuk is asking for is we know God will do. That's what God does, right? God brings revival. He is a God who brings life, right? He created all things. He is the God of life. He is the God of resurrection and new life, right? God will make his ways known. That's what God does. He reveals his ways. He shows us his ways. He brings glory to himself. And God is always merciful, as we've talked about earlier in this series. Yes, we see the judgment of God very clearly in the Minor Prophets. But right alongside that, we see that the God of justice and goodness is the God of mercy, that he is always merciful and he is always just, that he is always um, bringing and making things right. And so what Habakkuk is asking for, right, we know the Lord will do, but that's what faith looks like, right? Faith looks like continuing to intercede, 
continuing to go to the Lord, continuing to cry out for Him, continuing to ask of the things, even those things that we know He'll do. Right? That's what happens in a relationship of trust, right? I mean, you trust somebody, you ask them for things, even when you know they're going to answer that and give you those things. Right? I mean, a, a regular occurrence for me on a Sunday morning is I call my wife and said, I forgot something at home. Would you send it with one of the children? Or would you bring it over when you come? Right? I know Molly will do that. Usually, sometimes she knows I've forgotten something before I know I've forgotten something. Right? But that's a relationship of trust. I can ask you. And even though I'm asking something I know you'll say yes to, I still ask. And I believe that's one of the ways we live out our faith, is we continue to ask. And sometimes when our faith is struggling, and when we're feeling a, an attack against our faith, we're tempted to stop asking, aren't we? I'm sure you've experienced that. I know I have had. It's just like, Lord, I don't even know if I can ask things of you. I'm just so upset. This is so difficult. I'm just kind of done asking. I'll still trust in you, Lord. I'll, I still believe in you. I'm not denying my faith. But I don't know if I can ask anymore. And the faith says, keep, keep asking. Yeah, sometimes that's a huge step of faith to even cry out to the Lord and to ask him. But Habakkuk doesn't give up. He doesn't give up saying, Lord, make it known. Show your mercy. Right? Bring revival and many other things that he's asked before this. So faith intercedes. Secondly, we can say faith remembers. And so there's really a large section here of the, the passage, really from Habakkuk 3, or 3.3, 3, the, the third verse, um, really all the way up to 15. We have um, what in some ways is like a collage. It's like these various pictures of who God is, of his character, of his actions, of his works, right? And Habakkuk is remembering those. Now, again, is this a vision Habakkuk saw? Um, is this um, maybe some insight into the future? I think it is, but I think mainly what he's doing is he's remembering who God is and how God has worked in these powerful images. And so it's kind of, again, it's sort of this collage where we see um, clearly references to creation, the God is the one who created all things. We see references to the Lord setting free his people um, from um, Egypt and from captivity and slavery. You see, you know, references to plagues and pestilence and lots of references to water. Um, we see the um, reference to the Lord um, uh, under Joshua's um, uh, leadership, um, uh, keeping the sun in the sky, if you remember that, where he lengthens uh, the day um, in order that Joshua and the Israelites may know victory we see, again, references to returning into the promised land. And again, overall, it's just a picture of God saving his people again and again and again. And in this remembering, right, there are a couple things, two things I want to point out. One is he's remembering the preeminence of God, right, which is a word I wanted to use because I just love saying it, preeminence, right, that, that God is preeminent. Basically, God is sovereign. As Andine said uh, last week from her sermon from Micah, God is the author of the story. And, and Habakkuk is remembering that. He's celebrating that, right? That um, Verse uh, 6, uh, he stood and measured the earth. He looked and, looked and shook the nations. The eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. He's acknowledging, Lord, you are the author of all things. You oversee everything. Right? You are preeminent. You are ab- above all. There's lots of references to water, which, again, as I mentioned, I believe is a reference to the parting of the Red Sea and the, um, coming, the parting of the Jordan when the people of God came back into um, the promised land or entered into the, the promised land. But that water imagery also reminds us of creation. Right? In the very beginning of Genesis, it speaks about the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. And in that creation account, basically water in many ways represents um, uh, chaos, Right? And the Lord, into that chaos, brings order and design. 
And we see that imagery of, the, of water throughout, or especially the sea, right, and, and the waters of the sea um, representing chaos. It doesn't mean the sea is bad, right? The sea is good. But again, that becomes a symbol in the Old Testament. We see this in many places of chaos and of violence and the Lord coming upon it and bringing peace and bringing order. And so when we see the ministry of Jesus, right, two of Jesus' um, uh, miracles have to do with water, right? He calms a storm. He walks on the water, right? He's using basically imagery that people had in their minds to show, I am the Lord who brings peace. I'm the Lord who brings um, order out of chaos. I'm the Lord who can speak to the violent waters and tell them to be quiet, and they listen to me. And so we have that imagery here. Again, the preeminence of the Lord, the Lord who brings order. And again, when we think about sort of living in faith, especially in those moments where, like Habakkuk, we are saying, Lord, this doesn't make any sense. Lord, I've heard from you, and actually I've heard bad news from you. That is a time that we can step back and say, but he's God. Of course I don't understand his ways. Sometimes it's actually good. I think we need to step back and say, actually, if I did completely understand his ways, if I could completely figure God out, that would be a problem, right? If I have a God that I can, um, you know, totally predict all that he's going to do, well, that's a problem because he's God and I'm not. It's like, again, children and parents. Now, parents are often imperfect. God is not imperfect. God is perfect. Um, uh, But there are definitely times where a child looks at the parents and and thinks, what is that parent thinking, right? I mean, what are they doing? Why, Why would they do this? And the parent knows, look, I can't explain to you, but actually what I'm doing is for your good. It's actually the loving thing. I think about one of my kids when they were young and had uh, a few cavities, and we had to bring them into the, the dentist, and we knew, right, if these cavities aren't dealt with now, there is going to be pain in the future. But I can guarantee, right, that child, as we brought them into the dentist, thought, what are these parents doing? Right? Why do they hate me? Why, why would they torture me like this and let me be with a stranger with a drill to, to torture me, right? And we knew, how do we explain to him, like, this is good, this is actually right for you. In a sense, right, we need to be in those places where we realize, Lord, you are the creator. You are preeminent, and I'm not. Again, the Lord reveals himself. He shows himself to us. But if we always can totally figure the Lord out, then we're not really worshiping the Lord, right? For he is one that, again, reveals himself to us, but his ways are beyond our ways. So he remembers, again, the preeminence of the Lord, but he also remembers the saving work. The God who saved in the past will save again. So he's facing, right, the destruction of his his country. He's facing the invasion of the Babylonians. But he can stop and say, I know that God saves because he has saved and he will save. Look at verse uh, 13. You went out for the salvation of your people. Again, that's looking back for the salvation of your anointed. Now, the anointed there is speaking about God's people, right? They're his anointed. Uh, But that word anointed, of course, means Messiah, right? I mean, that's or Messiah means anointed one. And so we read that, and we can't help but think, oh, that's sort of foreshadowing. And that's looking forward to the coming Messiah, the coming Savior. Especially that when the next verse says, you crushed the head of the house of the wicked, that reminds us going all the way back to Genesis 3, when the, you know, the curse is shared, when the implications of the fall is shared with Adam and Eve, and the Lord says to Eve, right, your offspring will crush the head of the servant. Right? That's speaking about Jesus, right, who will defeat Satan and his works. And right here, right, I believe that's what's being referenced, right, the coming work of Jesus. And so even as this passage is celebrating God's faithfulness in the past, it's looking forward to his saving work. And so Habakkuk remembers, faith remembers. And then finally, faith worships, right? And faith worships even in the midst of loss. Even in the midst of tragedy, faith continues to worship 
the Lord. And so, verse 16, right? Habakkuk's response. Now, we can read this sort of two ways. One, it seems to be a response to what he's seen, right? The awe of the Lord, remembering all that God has done, remembering God's power. And yet, there's also an element of, um, uh, maybe even more so an element of, this is him continuing to contemplate the coming invasion of the Babylonians, right? When he talks about rottenness entering into his bones, his legs trembling and quietly waiting for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us, we certainly get the impression that he's saying, look, I know invasion is coming. I know suffering is coming upon my people, but I will quietly wait for God ultimately to bring justice again to Babylonians. And so I think he's still actually struggling with this news that he's heard that Babylon is coming. And so even though he's celebrated, he's remembered God's faithfulness and God's saving work, he's still dealing with the fear, which actually I think that's another picture of faith. We trust in the Lord, we remember his faithfulness, but we still feel the sorrow, right? We still feel the anxiety. We continue to bring it to the Lord. That's what he's doing. He's saying basically, I'm still afraid, Lord, but I'm going to trust in you. And then we get verse 17, which is so powerful. The fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the tree. The produce of the olive fail. The fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. And let's not let the poetic language here, even though it is poetic and the kind of agricultural language, miss out on what he's saying. He's basically saying, even if I starve, even if my people starve, if we have nothing, if we have no fruit, if we have no cattle, we have no flocks of sheep, even then, verse 18, yet I will rejoice. And I believe as we look at verse 17, perhaps... As hard as it is, we need to take a moment and say, what are those things for me? What are those things that I think I cannot lose that? I can't lose that. And again, I'm not saying you should want to lose it. He didn't want to lose those things. But he had to get to that place to acknowledge, even if these things are lost to me and to our people, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. Right? That's, that's faith. That's worshiping by faith. Right? We need the Lord to give us that faith. We can't work it up in ourselves. Right, but that is such an incredible statement of faith. Yeah, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So faith worships, even in the midst of loss. Basically, faith says, Lord, even if I lose everything, I know I won't lose you. And that's enough. And I can continue to worship you, even with loss all around me. And there's a response once again. And as I worship in faith, what does the Lord do? The Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. The Lord, actually, as I look to him, faith will bring a lightness, a lightness beyond what I can create, a, a freedom, right? That's such a, an image, right? A, a freedom and joy, a deer skipping across the rocks, right? Being able to roam free. And so like Habakkuk, I encourage you, bring your complaints to the Lord. Right? Cry out to him and then listen for his response, right? And ask him to give you faith. Ask him to give you that faith that continues to intercede, to give you that faith that remembers, and to give you that faith that worships even in the midst of darkness and loss. Let's pray. Lord, we are again thankful for your word. And I just pray, Lord, today as we especially read those final words of that passage, the the yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would not read that as sort of an unobtainable place of faith, but we would actually read that as an invitation from you, to continue to grow in faith, to continue to receive the the faith that you give us. You give us through your spirit, through one another, through your word, through the sacraments. Lord, may we, again, receive that faith you're giving us and and grow us more and more to that deep place of trust, Lord. And even as we pray that, Lord, we do pray where there is loss, where there is sorrow, um, that you would bring bounty, that you would bring joy, 
Lord, we ask that um, you would remember mercy. We ask that you would bring revival, that you would make your ways known. And we offer all these prayers in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.